Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the host of Funding the Dream, and this is episode 41, our first episode of season three. Thank you for joining me, and thank you to all of those fans who backed Funding the Dream as a Kickstarter project and made this podcast continue to be successful. This first episode, I've invited a special friend and guest, Tracy Hickman, international and New York Times bestselling author, famous for uh, co-authoring Dragonlance and a big-time gamer. I've invited Tracy to talk about Kickstarter and the impact it's having on the industry. Tracy, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you, Richard, and with everybody online. It is great, uh, and we do. We're getting more and more, you know, it's interesting as you make a shout-out here to our listeners, because I had somebody on the show just this past week. Um, his name is Chris Norwood. He's a big fan of yours. I mentioned uh, that you were going to be on the show. He, uh, the Dragonlance series, as you've said so many times, was such a key component to many people. And I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you, and I said I was going to mention his name to you too. So there, Chris, that's a shout-out to... Uh, hey, for- Chris, thank you, and I appreciate it I, I, that you read the Dragonlance books. My mortgage banker appreciates it. My family <laughs> appreciates it. Everybody appreciates it. Well, the reason I bring that up is because this... You know, Tracy, uh, you and I have talked extensively about just the changes that have happened in the industry, whether it's publishing, whether it's um, whether it's online experience, all of these things. You know, in this case with the podcast, one of the things that Chris said when he got on the show as a fan of listening to the show, that the fact that you listen to somebody's voice and then you get to talk back to them. And it's so uh, it's so interesting to have that experience. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fun because our fans are listening. They write to me. They write back to me. Sometimes they call me. Um, and it's interesting to be able to interact with them. That's just changed so much from the old days and old ways of doing it. Let's talk about those old ways because we're we're all old, right? Well, some of us are older than others, but yeah, I've been here quite a while. I've been I've I've been in games and game design um, since the early '80s, uh, and and while it doesn't sound that old to me, it certainly sounds old yeah. to a lot of other people. It does. And what? And so when you brought out a, a board game or a book, what was that experience? How did you bring that out? How did you connect with your fans back then? Well, see, back in those days, the the connection was uh, very personal, and it dealt specifically in in kind of a brick-and-mortar kind of an environment. So the best way for us to get in touch with our fans was through retail outlets. I mean, um, either through conventions, which which were gatherings essentially of retail outlets, um, or or through going to actual outlets. Book signings, for example, were very popular at that time. And uh, you could go around and, and have a, a pretty good uh, gathering of people sometimes. In our case, uh, some of our tours back in the, uh, in the 80s, we'd have five, 600 people who would show up. We'd go to conventions, and there would literally be thousands there who would uh, be in line and, 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 and want our books signed. Uh, and so this was the experience back then. This is how you got in touch with people back then is that you would – you would sit on the other side of the table and, and they would come and, and, and you would try to make a personal connection with them at each one of these stops. Um, but all of that's changed. And, uh, but literally, the game has changed across the board, both in terms of board game publishing and in terms of traditional book publishing. All of that's gone the way of the dodo and, and has evolved and is now evolving into something new. We have a saying in our household um, these days, it's evolve or die. Um, we can either change with uh, the changes in publishing and, and production, um, or we can become extinct. And, and, and those are basically the two choices that are left to us. Mm, interesting uh, choices. Uh, I'll have to think about which one I want to do. 
Uh, well, let's see. It was yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer there. Uh, you know, we 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 either evolve with with the changes or we don't. Although although that change seems to be a difficult uh, that that question actually seems to be a difficult one to answer for traditional publishing. Um, right, because uh, you're days. because you're involved with uh, what we'll call new media publishing. The idea of serialized, the idea of content being delivered. Uh, almost in real, almost in real time, uh, being able to deliver the content, get it out there, and have your fans interacting with you. But you're just you. We have talked about it, and you're going to address it now. That the publishing houses, the traditional publishing houses, are struggling with how to adapt to this whole new world that uh, that has been sprung upon us by eBooks and Amazon and that type of thing. Oh, absolutely! All of the old models have gone away. You know, it used to be that you would need to go through a publisher and get past the dragons at the gate there. And they would make an evaluation as to whether you were worthy of being published and that your whether your words were worthy of seeing print. Um, and, and then the entire marketing of that through wholesalers and distributors and then retailers and everybody along the line taking their cut in all of that. Uh, the traditional modes of publishing have, uh, have died. Um, in the old days, for example, you would go into your local Borders uh, bookstore and you'd walk in the front door and there'd be a stack of books. There might be five, six hundred books that would be piled up there in the front on that special table. And you'd look at that when you walked in the door and you'd say, wow, this is a popular book. Everybody is buying this book and I've got to buy this book, too. And and that is how they would sell a book to you. And how does and, and how that work out? The truth of the matter is that they didn't, they didn't sell any of those books. How'd that work out for Borders? How'd they, how, how are they doing now? Well, Borders not doing too well right now, but that's <laughs> but it wasn't their fault to a right. great extent. I mean, those those 500 books are all returnable, and they didn't have to return the entire book. All they had to do was strip the cover off of it to get the full refund. Oh, boy. And so as a consequence, you know, you'd have these huge print runs of books and send all of those books out, and then they'd have all of these huge returns that would come in, and they'd get credit for those. And, and, and they could do that to a certain extent also because, the, uh, of all things, the Chinese had a big market in, in um, trash paper, um, literally for use in the fireworks market. Are you saying that those books were worth more as the paper was worth more than the intellectual property that was inside of it? Absolutely. It was a matter of mass production. And hoping that if a book went big, then, of course, everybody would have a book and you'd sell all of those books. But if not, it was not a great loss because you could mulch all those books, and they did. You could destroy all of those books, sell the trash bulk paper to China, and cut your loss. Oh, that, that stealing intellectual property in China takes on a whole new meaning. Well, yes, it does. And in this particular case, they just fire it into the sky and we all ooh and ah. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, now things have changed. And well, here things you... have changed completely, yeah. And so here you are with this new model and pursuing this new um, media model. And we see – so things are changing on the, on the media. It's interesting as I listen to you talk about these changes in the industry, the publisher, the wholesaler, the retailer um, – returnable, getting it out there, you know, the impact that's having on, that sounds like the board game industry right now, that it's locked in this uh, traditional process that you just talked about. If I have a game, I got to uh, tout it out to all the publishers. One of them picks it up. 
Maybe they'll put it, they print up a, you know, several thousand copies, they send it out to the wholesaler, they send it out to the retailer, it, so, it, sends up on a sto- it shows up on a store shelf, and maybe somebody buys it. Yeah, and that no longer works. Um, I mean, everybody wants to well, everybody wants to go to Milton Bradley and, and, and take a game into them. Well, I can't take a game into Milton Bradley. The process to do that is extensive, and, and the betting on that is, is something that I can't even do. The truth of the matter is that in the old days, you would either do that, go to a traditional publisher and get them, try to convince them to buy your game and to publish it and to put it on the shelf, or you would go, uh, or, or else you would self-publish. And, and in, that, in those days, that was paying somebody to go out and make your game, and then they would send it to you, uh, and you would put it in your garage and try to find some way to sell it. And, and that that was the way that, that used to happen. You might show up with some cases at a convention and hope somebody would buy your game. That's the way it used to work. That's just not scalable. But, That's just not, we call use that term in software industry scalable. That you just no, can't. Well, it's not. And and as we tell, as I've told people, if you are paying somebody to make your product for you, you are not a publisher. You are a client. Yes, that the money's flowing in the wrong direction. It's going in the wrong direction, exactly. Now that doesn't mean that you don't need production, you don't need that kind of thing, but of course you do. All right. So, but, but the truth is that you have to today. You have to get rid of all of the people in between you and the audience. You have to connect directly with the audience rather than have a lot of people in between you. Now that's, and that's the challenge in this economy. That sounds like you want to eliminate jobs, Tracy. What are you talking about? Why some jobs? Yes, I do. <laughs> how, but what how, I'd like to do is you? create. What I'd like to do is create better jobs for more people, and, and I think that that's that's really the objective that we're looking at here. So let's talk about Kickstarter. So now we've identified basically the problem, the environment. Kickstarter comes along, and we've talked about it a lot on the show. You and I have talked about it extensively. Kickstarter comes along, and suddenly things are different. Well, suddenly things are very, very different because this puts you directly in touch with the people who are interested in your work. Now, we actually tried this earlier uh, before Kickstarter with a project uh, that we're still running, which is uh, called Dragon's Bard. And Dragon's Bard, um, from the inception, was to take the way Charles Dickens used to write his books in serial format. And then, uh, I mean, Charles Dickens, Arthur Conan Doyle, H.G. Wells, all of those back then, used the serial publishing format where they would release their stories in segments, in chapters, in periodicals, and then at the end they would produce the book. We thought, well, this would be a great thing to do in our modern environment, a new way of producing books, a new way of publishing, where we would go out, we would sell subscriptions to a book that was being written specifically and would be published specifically to our uh, our subscription base. And we would send them a chapter every week. They'd log, they, and they do this now. They log into our secure website, and they can download the new chapter every two weeks. And they give editorial comment to us, and they talk about the chapters directly with us as we're writing the book. And then at the end of the process, when the book is finished and the manuscript is completed, then we, contract, we have contracted with a, a, a printer to produce a hardback acid-free archival quality copy of the book. And we mail a copy of that book to each one of our subscribers. And a friend of mine, uh, Matt Lampros, said that the, the book is the souvenir of the experience. Yeah, because you you didn't pay the money to buy the book. You paid the money to, to be have part, the story. To have the story. 
But now that you've experienced the story, you want the book as a souvenir of the journey that you've made. Right. And so the physical book is an important component in, in this process. Well, the truth is that if I were to do this project now, I, and, and we will be doing projects like this now, I would do this in Kickstarter because Kickstarter not only provides all of the benefits of the serial publishing, in, in other words, of having, uh, having the subscription paid for in advance, having the printing paid for in advance by people who want the product, but it also provides the additional benefit here of, of going into the project only when it's fully funded. See, when we got out with our serial uh, publishing project, we said, well, we just hope that we have enough people that we will raise enough money to cover the printing costs on the books. And now you'll know, you'll know, up, well, and, and it's not now just the money, right? Front. You'll know the interest level. You'll know the enthusiasm level. You have a built-in audience. All of Kickstarter basically brings all these fans and they I had an interview with uh, Peter Atkinson where we talked about this patronage, right? Now they're going to, yeah. the Kickstarter allows an easy way for them to become patrons of this creation, uh, art creation. Absolutely, and that's and that's essential in the new uh, the, this age of new media that we're in. That you, it's no longer as uh, I do a I do a writing seminar online, the the the, the Scribes Forge writing seminars, um, and um, uh, the, these Scribes Forge writing seminars that we do. One of the things that we tell people is that it's not about being published. It's no longer about being published. It's about being read. It's about it's all about audience, and it's connecting directly with the audience that is the important thing in this new media age. We think of we think of this electronic uh, communication age and and the internet as being cold and impersonal, but the truth is that that what we need what you need is an audience that is dedicated and that feels connected to you. And that's why the playing field has has been leveled completely by this by Kickstarter and the, and this new media pro, uh, process. Because yes, I'm an international best-selling uh, novelist. I have I've been an established, published, and selling novelist for decades. over two decades now. Yeah, yeah. And yet the playing field between me and the next guy down the line is now level. Because both of us have the same access to the internet, both of us have the same access to audience, and my audience down through the years, which is which is around the globe, no longer knows where to look for me, and that's because they moved where they looked. They no longer go to that barn. They no longer go to that Barnes and Noble and look for a book anymore. They go online. They no longer walk into the borders because they can't or the Waldens, or the B. Daltons, because those stores don't exist anymore. And so consequently, back in the 80s, when we would do our book tours, we would go in and there, may be, there might be five, 600 people that were all excited and lined up to get our signature. The last book tour that I went on, I had a stop in San Francisco, one of the biggest science fiction bookstores uh, in the city. And there were eight people who showed up. Ouch. Eight people who showed up. And we had a lovely a lovely evening, but it hardly justified the expense of going there. And that's not necessarily because the the fans went away, but you made an interesting point: is that but they're not there anymore. Right, they're not there anymore. 
And I came back from that, announced that I had gone to and went online and said, well, I just got back from this book signing in San Francisco. I got a flood of emails from people saying, I wish I'd known you were there. I would really have loved to have seen you. Right. And, and OK, let's wrap up because we're, we're running sure. out of time. There are places that people can see you and and you can take this a little bit further because this is we're talking about Kickstarter and we t tend to talk about games. So you can now take this and extend it to the game world. Right. A board, mm -hmm. a board game. I think I I know I saw a tweet that you said uh, you and Richard Borg have a secret project that you're working on. And you have. Uh, yes. Yes, we do. Yes. Uh, very secret. Don't let's not tell anybody. No, it's a secret. Uh, it, yeah. So. And then, and then at uh, Gen Con, you're present at Gen Con, and you have an extremely popular breakfast uh, that you call it at Gen Con, right? Uh, Absolutely. Eight hundred excess of eight hundred. Basically, it's only limited right now by the capacity of the hall to hold that many people. Absolutely. So uh, you're exploring and experimenting with this new, these new ways to slowly build back the connection with the customers where they used to know where to find you and now to say, here I am, here's my content that you have grown up with, loved, and here's how you can now find me. Ultimately, it comes down to me selling the person across the table on my book. And whether that's the person that's across the internet, who's on the other side of the screen, the person who's on my Facebook page, the person who's listening to my tweet, the person who comes to the convention and, and comes to one of our, our, our big events or is standing across, or standing across the table from me at, at our sales booth uh, or at a book signing table, whoever they are and wherever they are, it ultimately comes down to me selling that person on the idea, and, and, and I believe it's a true one, that we have a connection between each other. Yep. yep. And I've always been, I've always, I've always striven throughout my professional career to maintain a personal connection with every one of those people. All 11 million of them. All 11 million of them. Because, because ultimately, when it comes right down to it, it's the experience that we share together. When they read that book, they participate in the creation of that story. And it's a unique story that they create with me, and that is something between the two of us. And it's the same with the game. When someone sits down at that game, wherever they are, and I'm not going to be there watching them play the game that I create, but wherever they are, they are going to be participating in something that we've created together. And that's a personal connection between us. And that, I think, is the real benefit of a project like Kickstarter. Not only can I sell, sell a project to somebody, sell a game or, or a book to somebody, but I'm selling it to them, not to some wholesaler, not to some retailer, not to some distributor, but to the person who's going to read that book, who's going to play that game and make it something special for them. Very, let's, end, let's end there. We're, we're out of time. This has been awesome. So somebody who wants to follow you, Tracy Hickman is your Twitter handle, right? It's T.R. Hickman, I think, oh, is that's the right. Twitter You're handle. T.R. Hickman. T.R. Hickman is my Twitter handle. Please follow me there. I've got uh, a number of Facebook pages, and come and come follow me there. You can come over to Scribes Forge if you like, and uh, maybe I'll strike a deal here with Richard, and you can get you a discount code with that. <laughs> that would work. Yeah. So yeah. Th thank you for being – thank you for kind of giving us a, a background. Uh, I'm never going to look at a used paper book, back book or a firework quite the same way again. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thanks, Tracy, for being on the show. Anytime, Richard. You've been listening to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. My guest has been Tracy Hickman, International 
and New York Times bestselling author of the Dragonlance, co-author of the Dragonlance series. And uh, you know, he sa- said some things that have inspired me. Hopefully you've been inspired. You've heard something that will uh, give you that spark to kind of go out there and pursue your dream. We're going to look for it on Kickstarter, and we're going to help you and, and hope that you have the passion to go fund your dream. Thanks for listening. Take care.